Oh, good morning. As Daniel said, my name is Timothy. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Central. Excited to be with you again this morning. Excited to bring God's Word to us. Uh, we are this morning concluding our study of the Lord's Prayer. We'll be looking at the sixth and final petition of this prayer. And as is our custom here at Christ Central, I'm going to invite you to stand if you're able as we give attention and reverence to God's Word. This morning we're in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to read verses 9 through 13. This is God's Word. Jesus said, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is true. And we ask that you would speak to us this morning through your word, that you would bring your truth to us, your people, and that because we encounter you this day, that we would be transformed, that we would be different from when we arrived, because we've encountered you, the living God. God, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So here in... Verse 13, we come now to the end of this famous prayer guide. And as you might assume, the final verse is Jesus' instructions on how we are to conclude our prayers. He's already shown us how to address God in prayer as Abba Father. He's shown us what to ask God for in our prayers, for His kingdom to come, for His will to be done, for daily provision and for forgiveness, as well as the strength to forgive others. And now he shows us how to conclude. And I think it's helpful to envision that this end to the prayer is in some ways an end to a conversation. Now don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that God ever leaves us. He promises to be with us throughout the day, to go before us and behind us, to never leave us or forsake us. He is clearly always near. However, when we end our time of focused prayer, we are on some level leaving God. We're leaving that focused, intimate time with Him. And this sixth petition is the request that he commands us to make from Him as we go out from our time with Him into the world. He says, pray this way, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And as I was thinking about this prayer and reflecting upon what a normal day in my life looks like, I began to recognize why Jesus would encourage us to end this way. And so I want to share with you a normal day in the life of Timothy Price, and I want to ask you to listen for a common theme. So my alarm goes off, and I'm tempted to hit the snooze, as I did this morning. 
I normally begin my morning by helping to get the kids ready for school, and in doing so, I'm tempted to yell at them because they're not doing their part, at least not as quickly as I'd like. We head off to school, and I'm tempted to yell at the guy who cuts me off, and then I'm tempted to slander him to my kids because the way he's driving reveals that he must be a horrible person. After I drop off my kids, I pass a woman jogging, tempted to have lustful thoughts. And then I see a man walking to work downtown, and he looks really sharp, and I'm tempted to hop online and and buy some new duds. Then I get to the office, and when I arrive there, I'm tempted to eat the sweets left over from the night before. And then I get into my office, and I'm tempted to jump right into work rather than spend that time that I've set aside to be with Jesus. And then someone comes into the office asking for help, and I'm tempted to blow them off because I don't have enough time. Then I sit down to my desk to begin working on my sermon, and I'm tempted to check the stock market or look at my bank account because I'm scared and I'm looking for safety from somewhere. All this takes place before lunchtime. I think you get the point. Temptation is all around us. And no doubt yours looks different than mine, but the truth is that all of us have lives that are full of opportunities that we know aren't right, but look so good nonetheless. And when I take time to reflect like this, my first thought is I don't even want to get out of bed. Because the presence of temptation that is for sure going to assault me today feels like too much. And I can't help but recall how many times I failed to deny the temptation the day before. So what hope do I have for today? The good news is, church, there is hope. There is hope for you and for me. And and we find it here in this prayer, this prayer that is a model for us in our daily prayer, for the way that we cry out to God each and every day. And so this morning, I want to dive into this last petition, and look at temptation. And there are three things that I want us to look at. First, what is temptation? Secondly, does God actually lead us into it? And then third, how does this prayer help us to avoid it? So what is it? Does God lead us into it? And how does this prayer help us to avoid it? So let's begin. Before we go any further, I want to make sure that we're clear on what temptation is and what it is not. See, I listed a bunch of temptations that I often face, some more serious than others, but all real. And I shared this list with you because I often worry that our definition of temptation is often too narrow. See, it's easy to think that temptation refers only to a handful of big, bad, ugly sins like sex and drugs and alcohol and gambling and and pornography. And although those those sins are certainly tempting, they are in no way all-encompassing in terms of what temptation might look like in your life. For many of you, you can look at these big, bad, ugly sins, and you can honestly say, you know, I'm good to go. I don't really struggle with those sins. Therefore, temptation clearly is not an issue that I should be concerned about. And yet we all know that's not true. Our life is full of various temptations. Maybe for you it's food, the temptation to overeat or undereat or 
not eat at all. Maybe for you, temptation shows up at work. You're tempted to get ahead, to climb the corporate ladder, and to do whatever it takes to further your career. Maybe for you, it has to do with your children, and you're tempted to make your children and their behavior and their performance your whole life. Tempted to smother them and inappropriately prioritize them over everything else. Maybe for you, temptation arises at the mall. You're tempted to buy and buy and buy in hopes that you will be enough or that everyone will like you. See, each of us, we know our own hearts and we know what we are tempted by. But the truth is that all of these temptations that hit us in different ways, they all have something in common. So I want to look at what holds them together. See, what holds them together is that they all threaten to pull us away from God. They do that either by the allure of deceitful pleasure or the promise of less pain than obedience. I'm going to say that again. Temptations threaten to pull us away from God either by the allure of deceitful pleasure or the promise of less pain than obedience. You see, when we're tempted to click on that pornographic website, it's because there's a part of us that thinks doing so will give me pleasure. It will make me happy. Or when we're tempted to fudge a little on the numbers at work, it's because we think that doing what's right will be more painful than the pain that will come from a little white lie. We quote John Piper, he says, Temptations are the things that threaten to lead our hearts away from God and His ways towards something we feel is more satisfying and less costly. Maybe said more simply, a temptation is simply an opportunity to not trust God to trust in something else, to believe that God's way of living is not the good life, good life, but rather that something else is. Which is how I want us to understand temptation this morning. It is this battle. Temptation is the battle to believe that God's way is best and obey or to disbelieve and fall. That's the battle that we are facing. And so now, acknowledging that we understand what temptation is, I want to address the elephant in the room, and that is Jesus commands us to ask God not to lead us into temptation. And so clearly this assumes that there's a chance that God might actually do so, or this prayer wouldn't make any sense. But how can this be? Does our Abba Father, our good and gracious God, actually at times lead us into temptation? Now, in order to answer this question, we need to look even closer at this word temptation. And what we see throughout the scriptures is that this word actually carries two different meanings depending upon the context. It can mean either to entice or to test. It can mean to try to coerce one or simply to put someone to the test. And the first thing that we need to recognize is that God always does the latter, that when he tempts us, it is to test or try us. James puts this crystal clear, makes this crystal clear when he says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted or enticed by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself entices no one. Super important that we understand this, church. Unlike Satan, whose temptations always exist to entice us to sin, God never coerces anyone at any time under any circumstances to sin. 
Nevertheless, what we do see time and time again throughout the scriptures is that our faith, excuse me, that our God does in fact tempt his people as a means of testing their faith. We see this in countless places in the scripture. We see it in the book of Job when God allows Satan to take everything from Job. We even see this in the life of Jesus right before he preaches this famous sermon. Matthew 4 says that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And even more generally, what we see in the scriptures is that our God is sovereign. What that means is that he is in control of all things at all times, which means that long list of temptations that happened to me before lunchtime, God was in control of all of those. And I think it's helpful for us to, as we process that, recognize, as was just stated by, Jay's, by, by James, that although God was sovereignly in control of all of those temptations, it's never his desire that we would fall into those sins. God saw fit for me to face those temptations, but his desire was not that I would succumb to them. As the Westminster Confession of Faith says, the most wise, righteous, and gracious God for diverse, holy, and just ends may so order things that we may be assaulted, foiled, and for a time led captive by temptations. What the confession is saying is that our God believes that it is good and right for us to be tested, and therefore he often com is compelled to lead us into temptation. Why is this? I think the answer is, without going off on too much of a tangent, is that God wants our hearts. That God is after our hearts, our whole hearts. He longs for us to truly believe that his way is best. And that temptation provides the opportunity for us to give him our whole heart. To trust him that his way is in fact the good life. And so as we live in this broken world with temptations all around us, they're calling us, they're wooing us to themselves, we are faced with this choice. A choice to either embrace the temptations or ignore them and rest in the loving arms of our Abba Father. That's what these temptations, these tests that God puts us in are all about. I do think it's important to note here, church, that hopefully this is an encouragement, that although our Heavenly Father does at time lead us into temptation, He promises to never lead us into a temptation that is too great for us. Paul reminds us of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, a verse that we probably need to put to memory. He says, No temptation has over overtaken you that is not common to man. But God is faithful, this is the good news, and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. See, the good news is that although our God often does tempt us, he promises to limit that temptation so that it won't overpower us. And when the temptation feels overwhelming, we must remember the promise here that God will and has provided the way of escape so that we will be able to endure it. Now, no doubt this text should not encourage passivity. This is not encouraging us just to believe that God is going to intervene in a miraculous way as we sit and watch. Because God promises the power and the way for escape, but we must use his power and we must take that way of escape. No doubt God often includes things like accountability, confession, recovery groups. These are God's ways that he provides for us. 
But the message that we need to hear is that there is, in fact, a way out. We are not trapped. We are not powerless to the defeat of the temptations in our lives. Do you believe that? I recognize in a room this size, there's probably many of you who feel like you are stuck. Like there's some sin, some struggle that has you in a headlock and you just can't seem to get out. It feels like there's no way of escape. But God is promising. He's promising that our feeling of powerless is, powerlessness is misguided. There is an escape to be had that we can overcome, which brings us to our third and final point. How does this prayer help us to avoid temptation? I wish I could say that the answer was that we could simply say these words and no temptation would befall us, like some sort of magical code that we could just insert into our lives. But that's not the case. The words themselves have no magical powers, but just like in any prayer, it's, it's the heart beneath the words that matter. Just as we talked about a few weeks ago, to, to, to say the words, give us this day our daily bread, does not cause bread to pop out of thin air. But rather, the prayer is powerful if on some level you believe in your heart that God is going to provide for you. In the same sense, when we pray this prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For it to be powerful, we must believe some things in our hearts when we pray this prayer. And there's two things that you need to believe, and this is where I want to conclude this morning. The two things that we need to believe in order for this prayer to be powerful is that I am weak, but he is strong. It's really simple. Let's look at the first one. I think the reason why we don't pray this prayer from the heart is because we don't truly believe that we are weak. Years ago, I had the privilege to sit underneath a renowned author and theologian, Jerry Bridges. He's a, a man whose writings have deeply impacted me. He's, he's one of my heroes. And he said something this day that I have never forgotten. He said that he believes there is not a single sin that given the right access and anonymity that he would not commit. I want you to allow that to sink in for a moment. One of the godliest men I know told me there is no sin. Think of the worst one that you can imagine. He said there's no sin that he would not commit if he had the right opportunity and he knew no one would ever find out. What a profound picture of someone who knows that they are weak. I wonder how many fewer stories of moral failure there might be in the church if church leaders believed as... Jerry Bridges did and does that, um, that there's no sin that they might not commit. Church, do you see yourself in that same light? As one who is so weak that there is truly not any sin that is out of the question for you? Is there a humility about you that causes you to tremble over how prone you are to sin and how possible, how likely it is that you will fall and fail to trust God in that area once again. Because if you don't believe this, if you don't believe that you are incredibly weak, you will never pray this prayer from the heart. But not only do we need to recognize that we are weak in and of ourselves, we also need to understand there's a comparative weakness that we need to embrace as well. See, I think of myself as one who is relatively fit in shape. 
I'm not a meathead, but I, I wouldn't call myself weak either. However, if Pastor Aaron challenged me to a wrestling match, it would be in my best interest to decline. You see, because compared to Pastor Aaron, I am all kinds of weak. He would dominate me. In a similar sense, although we are right to recognize that we do possess some strength, we must also recognize that we have a formidable opponent, and his name is Satan. And we do not have the power to overcome him in and of ourselves. Now, I recognize that when I use that word Satan, many of you probably get uncomfortable, and there's probably a number of people in this room that don't believe in Satan. It sounds kind of fanciful or or maybe even sci-fi. And yet, I want to borrow the famous Charles Baudelaire quote. I, I believe, as he says, the finest trick of the devil is to persuade you that he does not exist. I think we place ourselves at great disadvantage when we fail to acknowledge what the scriptures make plain, and that is that our foe is real, that he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. When we deny his presence and power, we only heighten our propensity to fall. As the great German pastor Hermann Thielek once said, there is a dark, mysterious, spellbinding figure at work. Behind the temptation stands the tempter. Behind the lies stands the liar. Behind all the dead and bloodshed stands the murderer from the beginning. Our enemy is real, and we must not underestimate him. I hope that you see how important it is to believe that, that we are weak, that we are weak in and of ourselves, and we are weak compared to our great adversary, the devil. And it's only an awareness of this weakness that will appropriately guard us from prideful presumption, from the presumption that claims, like the Apostle Peter, Lord, I'll never deny you, only two days later deny him three times. You must recognize that we are weak. But church, believing that we are weak is is only half the battle. In order to pray this prayer from the heart, we must also believe that he is strong. Over the past few months, my family has been battling some difficult things at home. And at times, I've felt pretty frustrated and defeated. And as I've been studying and meditating upon this text over the past couple weeks, I've been incredibly convicted. Convicted by how in the midst of this struggle, how prayerless I have been. And as I was reflecting upon the text, I I came to realize that my failure to pray was not because I didn't see that I was weak. I'm full aware of my weakness in this particular situation. But rather it's been because of my failure to believe that He is strong. I've been failing to pray because I didn't believe that God can and would intervene on my behalf. I didn't actually believe that he wanted to rescue me, wanted to bring healing and help. It's easy to pray this first line with the awareness that we are weak. God, lead us not into temptation because we know we can't handle it. But what about this second line? It says, but deliver us from evil. One commentator inserts a few filler words in the middle here to help us understand what Jesus is getting at. He says it this way. He says, And lead us not into into temptation, but if you must, deliver us from evil. You see, as, as we noted already, God at times sees 
fit to tempt us. At times, he must. And the only way that we can digest this truth about our God, that God tempts us and not allow it to create disdain in us for God, is to believe that when he must, that he can and he will deliver us. Do you believe that? Do you believe that whenever God chooses to allow temptation to come, that he is able and willing, that he delights to deliver you? Because in order to pray this prayer from the heart, we must believe both. We have to believe that we are weak, but also that he is strong. I want to conclude by sharing a story I recently read about two men who were condemned to die for their faith under Queen Mary. One of them boasted very loudly to his companion that he would be a man at the stake, that he was so grounded in the truth that he would never deny Christ. He even said that he so longed for the fatal morning like a bride for her wedding. And then his prison companion, however, was, was a poor and trembling soul, aware that he had always been sensitive to suffering, and he was terrified of the fire that awaited him, terrified that he might deny his God when the pain came. And as a result, he urged his friend to pray for him and spent the final hours before his death weeping over his weakness and crying out to God for strength. And yet when they both came to the stake... The one who had been so bold immediately recanted at the sight of the fire and walked away from the faith. While the poor, trembling man whose prayer had been, lead me not into temptation, stood firm as a rock, praising and magnifying God as he died a cruel death. There's something beautiful there in that recognition that although I am weak, God, you are strong. Brothers, sisters, there's temptation all around us. They're an unavoidable part of our day-to-day life. But there is hope for us in the face of temptation. We can continue to trust God and follow His ways. But we must avoid the presumption of the first man. We must believe that we are, in fact, needy and weak and powerless apart from God's intervention. intervention. And at the same time, we must embrace the faith of the second man who knows that although he is weak, he serves a God who is mighty to save. As Sinclair Ferguson rightly stated, he said, the Christian who knows his weakness but is a praying Christian, he will be garrisoned by the Lord's strength and he will overcome. In a moment, we're going to sing one of my favorite hymns, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And I hope that as we pray these words and sing these words, that they will ring truer and truer in your hearts than they ever have before. Listen to this second verse. It says, And and though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. Would you pray with me? Father, we recognize that we are immeasurably weak. Father, I recognize that I am immeasurably weak, that that we need you We cannot overcome the temptations that we face each and every day. We don't stand a chance. 
Father, protect, protect us from the presumptions that thinks that we got this, that we don't need your help, that we can't overcome whatever it is that will come at us this day and every day. But God, also protect us from our lack of faith that doubts that you are strong, that you are able to give us the strength, to give us the way of escape, to give us the power to defeat the temptations, to defeat the tempter. Father, would you remind us of these truths today and every day as we seek to wage battle against the temptations that are all around us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.